Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Oh, I love this place. I love this place. If you are new to the Bridge, welcome here. Uh, My name is Derek. I am the pastor here, and uh, I am just so glad you are here. Do I have anyone in here who enjoys flying, like on an airplane? Okay, that's about... Wow, okay, so the first service, I think there was like two people. I personally love to fly. There's something about getting on an airplane, especially if it's going somewhere warm. Like being from Minnesota, when you get on an airplane, you're going somewhere like Florida, it's exciting. It's like, I'm getting out of this place. This is awesome, right? I love, love flying. Um, and so I, I like getting there a little early, grabbing a cup of coffee, going through the terminal, just listening to some music. Like, I just, I don't know what it is. I just love flying. The only caveat to this is when you run into unexpected things on your way to the airport, which happens fairly regularly, I'm learning out. So I will never forget the story of when I was on the way back from Florida to Minnesota. And that flight anyway is always the worst because you drop off your rental car at 75 and sunny in shorts and a t-shirt and you come home to 25 below zero, gusting winds, treacherous roads and everything else terrible. So that flight alone is always terrible anyway. But the thing of it is, is this particular flight home, it was a real problem because I was like, all right, I'm gonna just, I, I, I have some pre-check stuff so I can just go in really, really quick and be done, so I don't have to get to the airport super early. I'll get there an hour and a half instead of two hours. It'll be fine. It wasn't fine at all. It was one of those few things where you're like, I'm banking on everything going right, and everything went wrong. Anyone else has been in that situation, right? So I get to the airport, drop off my rental car, but there's about literally, probably no joke, 25 cars in front of mine. And so by the time I drop off the rental car, we have about 47 minutes until my flight takes off. And 47 minutes is not a ton of time when you're trying to board an airplane. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll go quick. I have the TSA pre-check. I can go right through. That'll be fine. The only problem was as I went to walk towards the security area, I grabbed my wallet out with my ID. I had my phone out there too. And I went to grab my boarding pass. Right? Isn't this a fun triple pat down? You're like, I don't feel my stuff. Where is it? And sure enough, I deducted that in the process of me being flustered to drop off the keys to my rental car, the boarding pass, which was securely behind the keys in my back pocket, when I pulled those out in haste, my boarding pass probably drifted off into the Floridian Sea. And so I was like, oh, this is delightful. Now I got to go back to the ticket area. By the time I got through security, I had about literally probably 15 minutes to the time I was taking off. So, you know, you get up to the, pl- the lady, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so. You must, when they say you must be Derek, that's a problem. That means everybody else is waiting for you. You must be Derek. I sure am. Let's get on this flight and get out of here, right? So sure enough, we get on there. And as I am getting through security to the lady, my phone in my pocket's going, like there's just a barrage of text messages. I'm going, what in the world is going on? Sure enough, back here, there's a massive crisis that's going on. And something unexpected happened, and I've got about six different people in a group chat just throwing things back and forth, back and forth. And they're wanting my opinion and my feedback. And so I'm, I'm typing. I'm, I sit down. I buckle up. I'm typing. And as I'm typing, the stewardess comes over and says, sir, you're going to have to put that away right now. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it really quick. And she just stood there, and I kind of got the urgency, like, 
put that away right now, or I'm going to kill you. One of those kind of things, yeah? So sure enough, I didn't even get to send out my text message. And as we took off, and I, my, my phone went completely like dead in terms of cellular coverage, I was so anxious because I was like, I never got to send the text. I never got to resolve the thing. I was so, so anxious, but I couldn't do anything. And so what ended up happening is I ended up falling asleep, and I woke back up, and I was kind of just like aware of the fact that the situation was still going on, and I was kind of feeling the angst of that until I realized this. I can't do anything at this point. I can't receive a text. I can't send a text. My phone is quite literally dead in the water. So even despite the fact that I want to do something, I can't. And when I kind of let that thing set in for a second, it was like, (sighs) you ever get so busy in life that you just forget that you're just in this cyclical grind? I was telling this for the first service. Like I feel like a lot of times the first thing out of my mouth when someone asks me, how are you doing? I always say, Good, but busy. How are you doing? Good, I'm just really busy. Like, we are all so, so busy. And the problem is it creates a problem where we can't pursue our interests, our hobbies, our desires, or we can't grow because we don't have time. We're going to be in a sermon series, everybody, called Airplane Mode because I really believe that if we want to grow as human beings, if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in who we are as a person, it's going to require us to create space. Spiritual growth, spiritual health doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't just fall in your lap or one day you're like, oh man, I feel like I'm growing. No, when you want to grow and mature in who you are, when you want to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and who he is to you, you have to put yourself out there. In the same way, if you want to get strong, you have to go to the gym consistently. If you want to improve in your career, you have to to put things in place. You have to work hard. You have to go to events. You have to do these different things. Spiritual health is the same exact way. And as your pastor, if I can be very vulnerable and honest for a second, there is this healthy tension that exists in me on the regular. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus, not over religion. I grew up in religion where there was like I didn't have a connection with God. I knew a lot about God. I knew about church, but I didn't know who Jesus was. And I had this religious experience, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm always on this teeter-totter of making sure that you guys understand that a walk with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship with who God is. But the tension is I want you to have depth over experience. I want there to be a depth to your spiritual walk. Because again, sometimes religion can deter us from having a relationship with God, but sometimes we're so relationship-oriented that we don't dig in and grow in our walk. We don't do something intentional. So throughout this series, we're going to talk about what are the things that we have to do? What are the different, like for me on that airplane when I was going away, what space and what things do I need to do to be able to grow in my walk with God, because God's going to mute you where you are at, but in order to grow and be where we want to be, we have to take a step out. Even though this pages of scripture talks about how Jesus stands at the door and knocks, but we have to open the door to him. Jesus will pursue you in your life. He will pursue to be in your family. He'll pursue you to be a part of who your life is, but in order to receive him, you have to open the door and you have to welcome him into your life. So I'm going to throw out this next few weeks, I'm going to show you how 
to do that. So if you are ready to grow in your faith, if you're ready to walk out of this thing in a few weeks and be like, I'm ready, if you are just ready for something cool to happen in your life, would you give me one resounding, yeah. Perfect. We weren't in unison, but I'll take it. We'll work on it. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. What we're going to look at today, everybody, is a mentor and a mentee. You have the powerhouse pastor leader who is the man. But he's going to be instilling and mentoring and growing his apprentice, who I think looks a lot like me. Small, wickedly handsome, gifted in every sense of the way. That's kind of how I picture Timothy. Have I mentioned I'm also humble, by the way? I'm, I'm like the best person at being humble. Acts chapter 9, you have the mentor whose name is Paul. And Paul is the guy who was, again, he was very, very passionate. His life was all about passion. He was a Jew by nature. And if you look in the Bible, around the time Jesus walked the earth, Jews did not like Jesus. Because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and they thought he was completely full of it. So the Jews were really passionate about destroying Christians. So you have this man named Paul who is quite literally, he made it his passion to exterminate Christianity. Acts chapter 9, he talks about he breathes murderous threats. But through a crazy circumstance, God gets a hold of him. He moves in his life and he speaks to him. He says, Paul, follow me. The guy you've been persecuting, follow me instead. He becomes this great pastor, this great leader. And one day as he's kind of going from town to town, preaching from place to place, he goes through a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, there is this kid he's been hearing about. This kid who knows a lot about Scripture. He really seems like he's wise beyond his years. He's got a really, really good potential. But the problem is, his mom is a believer. His dad's a Greek, which in that day and age meant he didn't believe. So Paul comes into town, meets this kid named Timothy, and says, nice to meet you, and kind of feels called like, hey, I am going to be your mentor. I'm going to develop you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to be kind of the spiritual father for you. And that's what he's speaking here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's basically saying, you know all about me because for the last few years, he has been. But I want you to see his first biggest piece of advice. For those of you who have had a mentor before, you understand that a good mentor drops nuggets of wisdom into your life all the time. Things that stick with you forever. I want you to see one of the first things that he said. What's the first thing he felt he needed to imprint into Timothy? It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of the people, and especially of those who believe. Have nothing to do with godless myths, but train yourselves 
to be godly. I kind of made this comment for service. I'm really good at making fun of myself. Because my whole philosophy is if I make fun of myself, you can't make fun of me. And it works out most of the time. But the problem is uh, a lot of times when I do this, people don't think I'm joking. So please understand when I say this, I'm joking. Uh, I'm not strong, okay? Not strong at all. As a matter of fact, I struggle to lift the cat litter over the gate to our, to our basement. It, it's like a problem. But where I lack in physical strength, God has gifted me in speed and agility. I love to run. A lot of you who have been part of the bridge, you know that I have a passion to run. So a few years ago, I decided, hey, I'm going to run a marathon. Because why not? Sounds fun to me. And uh, the longest I had run at that point was about five miles in one sitting. So I decided one day, let's go 10. Let's double it. It's only 10 miles. I've run five before. It shouldn't be that hard. And uh, my wife, in her wisdom, is like, okay, you know that's a long way, right? I was like, yeah. She's like, you know that's like from our house to Cambridge, right? Yeah. She goes, uh, do, you, do you need water? Do you need a granola bar? I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I can, literally, it's, it's not that far. Well, I've run five miles before. It shouldn't be that hard. And I was wrong. It was a long way. 10 miles is a long way way. And so sure enough, I decided I need to commit to this thing. So I'm going to run five miles away from my house that I have to run five miles back. There's no, there's no chickening out. So I run five miles and I'm going along. It's a beautiful day. Birds are flying around. Life is great. And then I hit mile six, one mile longer than I'd ever run in my entire life. And you would have thought my legs got cut off because I couldn't run. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was so thirsty for water, I considered going to the Rum River and taking a big gulp of water. And for those who know, live next to the Rum River, you know that's going to give you tetanus, among other venereal diseases. It's a problem. So the thing is, I was like, okay, I need to just, I had to make the humbling call of Meg, um, you know that whole water and granola bar thing? Can you pack up the kids and drive out here because I'm about to pass out. And sure enough, she drives out. She gives me, and if looks could tell a story, everybody. My wife didn't need to say it, but her expression screamed, told you, told you so. You aren't invincible, right? And I realized in that moment, if you want to truly get beyond where you are, you need to train yourself accordingly. If you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get the same result you've always got. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow who you are, you have to mix it up. You have to stretch yourself. You have to do the things that are outside of your comfort zone. It takes repetition. It takes diligence. Each and every day, you have to decide, am I going to pick up this mantle to go on and be the person I want to be every single day. Some days you're not going to feel like doing it. Some days you are. But if we want to grow who we are as people, if we want to grow in our faith, we have to decide if we are going to be committed to spiritual disciplines. When you say disciplines, I'm not talking about like disciplining your kids. I'm talking about like disciplines, like habits, practices, rhythms, things in which you will get better at over time the more you do them. And something that the biblical times, they did all the time. They had disciplines. They had designated times of prayer every single day, where wherever you were, you would go to the synagogue and pray. If you were a believer and you wanted to be committed to God, you had to be circumcised. 
men in the room. Sometimes you weren't circumcised at birth. Sometimes you believed in God later on in life. And if you wanted to show that you believed in God, you had to be circumcised. Talk about dedication of faith, okay? That is like a whole nother level of being disciplined in your commitment to God. But they had the Sabbath, they had the synagogue, they had all these different things they had to do. I want to talk through them. Because I believe as our church, if we are committing to grow, we have to do spiritual disciplines, of which you find the first one in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know these, those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Spiritual discipline number one. We have to be anchored in the word of God. Scripture. Let's call a spade a spade. As human beings in 2023, we are at a disadvantage to someone who was in this day and age in terms of knowing the scriptures. Here's why. We have the luxury of having Bibles in print or on virtually or whatever else, but we can have pretty easy access to getting a Bible. If you wanted to go and get a Bible, you'd have to jump on Amazon, go to Barnes Noble. You could find one pretty easily. Back when Timothy and Paul wrote this, these didn't exist. You have the word of God, which was penned on a scroll, but those would be found in the synagogues. They didn't have printing presses. They didn't have a way to mass produce print. So print was not around very much. As a matter of fact, if you had printed works, you were loaded because they cost a lot of money. So the way in which you heard the scripture, the way in which you knew the word of the Bible was orally. You'd have to go to the synagogue and hear the word of God. And memorize it, and memorize it, and memorize it. And then as a parent, it was your job to pass that on to your kids. That's why when Paul says, you've known the scriptures from infancy, it's because he grew up hearing them every single day. So Paul's saying, continue in what you know. But I don't know about you guys. Everybody grew up differently. I didn't grow up at two years old. My parents quoting scripture to me. It wasn't an A. B, C, Philippians 4.12, for I can do all things through Christ. That was not how I grew up, right? It was not at all what my experience looked like. So that's why we as human beings now versus 2,000 plus years ago are at a disadvantage because maybe we haven't grown up being immersed in what this book says. But did you notice Paul's urgency? He says, continue. In what you know, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do you read the Bible? The big question I, I hear all the time. I once heard this, or I heard this quote, it was so good. Somebody asked a pastor, Hey, pastor, what's more important? Reading your Bible or praying? Good question. His response was, what's more important, 
inhaling or exhaling. Being anchored in who God says you are, being anchored in this word is critical to you living a life that is full of purpose, full of joy, full of freedom, full of happiness, because the very thing is you cannot function without it. He talks about how every word is God-breathed, and it prepares you for every good work that you can set your mind to. It's used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a context in which it kind of felt like if you stepped out of line, God was ready to strike you down with lightning. Like I, when I grew up kind of going to my church, it was kind of like a fear-based church where it was like, God's watching you at all times, so you better not step out of line or else he's coming after you. And so basically what I was, was interpreting as a kid is you better know this book to know what's right and what's wrong because if you don't, God's coming after you. But the more I read this now, and the more it's so much more than that. This is a book more than just rules and regulations of how you live your life. This is a book that is life transforming from the inside out. It's why Paul talks about the reason we read it is because it helps teach you. It helps correct you, yes, but it prepares you for every good work. For a lot of people, it's not a matter of understanding that I know I should read this. It's a how can I? I don't get it. It's a big book. I don't, I don't understand the language. I don't understand the context. It can be an intimidating way to jump into this thing. So I'm going to break it down in just a second. But if you're not convinced that reading this thing is important, I want to show you something that absolutely lurched off the page to me. Has anyone heard about the armor of God before? The armor of God. If, you, if you've been in kids' church at all, You've heard it a lot, right? I want to show you something as adults that sometimes we underestimate. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly this is where the armor comes in therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Something I really struggle with is I hate giving this platform and any attention to the enemy because he doesn't deserve it. But here's what I really believe is as a church, as people, human beings, we need to understand that there is a real adversary that really is against you and me. We talk about the realness of God and how God is real up in heaven, moving things around, and he's real, and that's all really, really good stuff. But in the same way he's real, there is a real enemy named Satan whose life mission is to take you out. 
He talks about the flaming arrows in here, the flaming arrows of the lies of the evil one that stick inside of you. So here's the deal. A lot of times we like to have sermons and, and things where we're preaching about, like, here's how to navigate life, and that's all really, really good stuff. But the reality is, some of the words that have been spoken over you are not just words from a mean coworker. They're words that the enemy can twist and lie and to make you feel like you are worthless. There are lies that are spoken over you by a family member, by someone you know and trust. There are things that get inside of your life that are not of God. They're of the enemy. And again, sometimes I hate going like, oh, let's just blame the devil on everything. Sometimes that's what we do. But don't mitigate the fact that some of the real opposition you walk through in your life has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with the fact that Satan is trying to use that to distinguish you. He's using it to derail you. And so I want to show you something because this, this cannot be underestimated. When you look at the armor of God, that's what they're laying out here in Ephesians. Paul is saying, put on the armor to protect yourself from the enemy. I don't know about you, but there's something that stuck out to me this week as I looked at the armor. What is the Bible, the Word of God, depicted as in the armor? Anyone catch that? A sword. Look at the rest of the armor. A belt of truth. A breastplate of righteousness. Feet fitted with armor and chain link. A shield of faith. A helmet of salvation. It's all defensive. It's all to protect you from the lies that come your way. But the word of God, scripture, is a sword. And a sword is offensive. Use a sword to cut down, to tear apart, to take back. The armor of God is defensive. The word of God is offensive. It cuts down the lies of the enemy. Because here's the reality. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak his word and his life and his encouragement into you. In the same way, the enemy wants to speak his lies to you. Yesterday morning, a day before I preach, I woke up out of bed. Just my wife and I, my kids were gone for the weekend. I woke up, there was just a spirit of anxiety that I just felt. I was super worried about a few things happening a day or two from now. I was super anxious about a few things. I really felt like I screwed that, that conversation up this week. I, I continued to dwell on it like I should have handled that better. I should have done this better. You kind of have all these things that just swirl and swirl and swirl. And so we go to the gym, and I'm just feeling just gross and just, just defeated. And I don't always do this, but as I got on the treadmill to go for a run, I put onto a sermon of a pastor I highly admire and respect who was just getting into the word of God. And I could almost literally feel just the lies and the, the things that weren't true just melting off with each successive step I took. Each second I heard the word of God, it just started to melt away. Because there's truth that is cutting away the lies. Because the word of God, the truth of God says you are purposed. The word of God says there's nothing that can overcome you. The word of God says there is freedom, hope, joy, and strength that is available to each and every person that professes in the name of Jesus. 
you are going to have circumstances and things in your life that will derail you. Which is why we need to come back to the word of God. Because it is a sword. That as Hebrews 4 says, it is a, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Every single time you open this book, God wants to speak something personal to you. The word of God is alive and active. What does that mean? That means when you read the words that were inspired thousands of years ago, the real living God inside of you through the Holy Spirit pulls things out. And you go, that's me. That's my circumstance. That's what I'm going through. And here's the encouragement of how I do it. That's why we read it. That's why it's alive and active. Some of you have been torn apart by your circumstance, by your self-dialogue for too long. It's time to fight back with this, with your sword. So here's how you wield your sword. Here's how you hold your sword. Because again, make no mistake, I know it's not a matter of just picking this up and reading it and life is good. So let me give you some really practical things. If you want to pull out your phone to take pictures of each of these things, if you want to pull out a notebook, these will be really practical, really fast. But here's how you grow. Here's how you read this book. Here we go. Point number one. Find a translation that works for you. On the spine of a paper Bible here, there's these three little letters. This one's NLT. That means New Living Translation. I personally can't read Shakespearean language. I hate it. I don't get it. So when I read the King James Version, I just don't understand the words that are being said because it's written in Old English. For some people, that's what you love. Stick with it. But find a translation that works for you. If you physically don't understand the words in your Bible, I'd encourage you, get a Bible that's the NIV New International Version or the NLT New Living Translation. And you'll notice my Bible is really hefty and really fat. The reason why it is is because on the bottom here, there's notes. This is a study Bible. So when I don't understand what this all means in the context, people who are a lot smarter than I am break it down in a way that is easy to understand. Number two, find a time that works for you. Habits take time and repetition. So set yourself up for success. I'm not a morning person, but I'm a night person. So when all is quiet in my house, I have a time set aside. This is my time to spend with the Lord in worship, in prayer, reading this book. If you're looking for spare time to read it, I have some news for you. You're not going to find it. Because spare time is tough to find. And we fill it with other things. You have to make time to read this word. And take baby steps. Don't get discouraged if you miss a day. Because the enemy would love to trip you up. You missed a day. You stink. Pick it up the next day and go again. Number three. Know where to begin. If you just open up Bible page one, Bible chapter eight, you're going to be confused and it's going to be a lot. What I would challenge you to is read the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. Read the book of James. It's only five chapters long. Or read the book of Psalms. They're very real life and practical. 
Number four, surround yourself with others. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You can learn a lot about the Bible when you're around other people who ask a lot of the really good questions. If you're new to the Bible, I'd encourage you, join one of our Bible studies. There's a really cool one coming up in the late fall, early winter called Bible Basics where we're going to dive into a lot of this stuff. Number five, study context. This was written 2,000 years ago. It's important to know the context of what it looked like because you'll understand how people lived back then. There's a lot of similarities now. So understand the context. Here's the last one. Be in the right headspace. Be in the right headspace. If you're going to read your Bible because you're just going to check it off the list of good things to do, you're probably not going to get anything out of it. But I need us to understand every single time you create space and room for God to speak, he will speak through his word. So every single time you open up this word to read it, expect God to bring you something. Encouragement, a challenge, a teaching. He's going to speak if you do it. Believe in him. My first ever Bible. I got gifted to when I was 14 years old. First day I opened it up, I wanted my mom to be impressed. So I kept the Bible on the table. I was like checking out the window whenever she, I knew she was coming home in about 20 minutes. I was like, all right, all right. She's not here. Okay, let me just scroll my phone for a little bit. Not the garage door. Nope, nope, it's not the garage door. False alarm. Then I heard the garage door and it was like a... I wanted my mom to be impressed. And I realized after a while that I kind of took that same pattern with God. I'm going to open this up, God, because that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I want you to be impressed that I'm reading your word. Until God kind of realized and showed me, no, no, no. This is for you. When you read this thing, it will change you from the inside out. I'm going to close with this. Bethany sent me this after our first service. I'm so blessed by some of the staff we have here. These are stats from the Center of Bible Engagement. This is what happens when you read your Bible at least four times a week. Every other day. Feeling lonely dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. And discipling others jumps 230%. When you read the word of God, it prepares you for good works. When you read this thing, it changes you on the inside so everything you do on the outside is different and it benefits people and it strengthens people and it shapes people. So as a church, I'm calling us to get to our sword. Because if the enemy has been beating you around, it's time to pick up your sword and fight back. And not just for our sake, but for everyone else's. I believe if we are a church that is grounded in this word, we will be different as individuals. Our church will be different as a corporate body. And I believe our community will be different as we continue to let this thing shape us in our community.
my challenge for you this week is maybe for the first time ever you pick it up. You get a new Bible, whatever it is. But do something this week. Try to go for four times. For five minutes a time. I don't, I don't know where you are or where, what you start, but commit to disciplining yourself, to getting into the Word. Because any new habit takes a little bit of discomfort. You've got to break through some new things. But the more you do it, the more it becomes a habit and the more you are grounded in who you are. Let me pray for you that you experience that this week. Jesus, I thank you for each person that can hear my voice. God, you have plans for them. You have purposes for them. God, and I believe through your word, through your spirit, you are going to push back the darkness, push back the things that have been just destroying them. I pray, God, this week for each person in this room that when they pick up your Bible, they hear your voice. They feel encouraged. They feel at peace. They feel your strength. The anxiety they feel just melts away as they hear your truth, that you are for them and not against them, that they do not have to fear, for you are with them. God, that your word is an anchor for us. I pray that we would trust in you with all of our heart and the honor and understanding. But in all our ways, go to you and you will make our paths straight. Jesus, I believe there are some in this room who don't feel worthy to open your word because they feel like a sinner. I pray, God, that each person in this room understand that when we say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins, come into my life in that moment, you are there. Jesus, Forgive all of us in this place and help us to chase after what it is you're calling us to do. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.